0: I had a tape recorder when I was a tween and in retrospect all those recordings were obscene but now I'm an adult and I can laugh at myself why not play them for someone else these are the tapes and I hope you enjoy a slice of nostalgia through the ears of a boy travel back in time with the familiar sound Let's all get lost and rewound.
1: Lost and Rewound, Episode 8, Deeper Depths, with special guest Josh Rubin.
0: Why, hello there, listener. My name is Alon, and welcome to Lost and Rewound. I am joined by Jimmy, and together we are on... And ow. Indeed we are, and joining us, as always, is adjunct professor
1: of logicology, Melissa Lloyd. Well, thank, I, I maintain that is my favorite title you've given me so far. And we shall keep it that way. I like that one. It really is my favorite. Oh, quite. Ooh. Quite, quite. I don't know where the accents came from. It we're, 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 we're just... came from Jolly <laughs>
0: <laughs> For those who are just getting into the swing of what Lost and Rewound is, we're going to give you a recap. I used to carry a handheld tape recorder with me in my middle school years of the mid-90s. These recordings called the danziger zone have gone practically unheard until essentially this year and so in order to sort of gain some perspective jimmy and melissa here will be listening with fresh ears ultimately we hope and hope oh we definitely hope so much hope to achieve absolute humility as we attempt to connect the dots between then and now let's begin phone with us right now we've got a guy who can cite really a lot of titles under his uh name including comedian actor director writer producer friend neighbor big Bl- cheese blah
1: blah 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 blah. and now
0: Dickies. the dick cheese <laughs> and now officially head of talent and booking for the first ever woodstock comedy festival going up in josh and i's hometown of woodstock new york september 20th through the 22nd welcome to the
2: show Josh Rubin. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. What has uh, the
0: experience been like uh, heading up this festival? This is like a whole new project for you.
2: Uh, it's incredible. It's been great, man. Um, it's all for charity, so that feels good. Uh, you have to keep reminding yourself of that and not just uh, enjoy it for the fun of it, because it is a whole lot of fun, even though none of us aboard, myself included, who came on very early, know how to start a festival.
3: So, so, there, have there
2: uh, been some
1: interesting learning experiences so far?
2: Oh, completely. I mean, we're all still, you know, jumping on conference calls and, you know, uh, uh, yelling because uh, we don't know, you know, how to coordinate a uh, – cohesive conversation sometimes because there's just so many people that are so anxious, but we're all, um, you know, it's a a really smart team um, of uh, woodstockers, of uh, New Yorkers, of producers professionally and uh, amateurly, and um, uh, professionals from all walks of entertainment and media. We've got advertising, bigwig. big wig, uh, a Creative director at BBDO. We've got Chris Collins, who's a retired child psychology professor at Woodstock, uh, who lives in Woodstock, and uh, it was his sort of idea to start this festival in the first place. We've got me, who, you know, I am who I am, work at College Humor for seven years and doing the internet video thing for some time. Um, It's an incredible. ragtag mod squad group of people and it's been an incredible experience and now it's actually time. We've been talking about it for a year. Chris called me two years ago to say, you know, hey, my friend uh, Dan Schneider, who's a mutual, mutual friend of ours Woodstock fellow, Alana, I know you know, told me that you might be interested in help me out with, put together this uh, Woodstock Comedy Festival. And, um, you know, Chris didn't really know what Tumblr was or what Twitter was or you know, he just knew that there were a couple of really cool local comedians and he had some kind of relationship with Jenny Slate uh, oh, and uh, I love I said, Jenny.
0: Well, She's fantastic.
2: He said, well, this Jenny Slate person lives in the same building as my son-in-law. And I was like, oh, well, that's a good place to start, you know, more so than these other names you kind of been spouting out. And also, you know, um, uh, let's bring some more people on board and actually make this a thing. And he called me a year later and said, all right, I finally got the paperwork together. Now we can actually do this thing. And, and we, um uh, we hit the ground running. Uh, it's just been incredible.
1: Awesome. Now, the other thing I'm sure everybody at home wants to know, and without naming names, obviously... Was anybody a super big asshole? Was anybody super awesome? Like, what, what's your great celebrity story or surprising encounter coming out of this whole experience?
2: We, uh, we booked <clears throat> for some reason early on. I thought, wouldn't it be great to get Bobcat Goldthwaite up in Woodstock because he was a, a guy that we, at least my demographic selfishly, grew up watching, and he was this incredible icon in the 80s. And, uh, and he still is, you know, an icon and a great presence, but it felt like he kind of disappeared and. Um you know, I, I said to myself, "Well, I I would love to know what he's been up to, and and, and you know, I'd love to to hear what kind of a director he is, because that's what he's been up to." And I thought, you know, because he's such gets such a wild reputation that he would be kind of a nutty dude. But um, everything we've been talking to him about thus far, he's been super supportive and affable and down for anything, and just wants to make it work. Like both him and the Cavett and Mario Cantone and you know, all of the members of the Upright Citizens Brigade who are coming up, the, the alums who are doing UCB Torco, and I mean, it's, everybody's been super supportive of it. It's just a, it's two things that, you know, sound really good together and feel really good together. It's Woodstock as an idea, as a town, as a mentality, and a comedy festival for charity. People a, are all just stoked.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm super stoked. It's a beautiful uh, thing that you've got going, and the yeah. fact that you're able to combine uh, a good cause, community, and entertainment all in one single facet is really an amazing feat.
2: Yeah, it's it's going to be incredible. We um actually it was for my 30th birthday on the uh, the 28th of June. Um, We raised, uh, we had a little, uh, a festival event um, uh, with the help of Eddie Brill, who's been coordinating all of our talent. He's been incredible. He's a uh, well-known stand-up comedian who booked uh, Letterman for years, and he's, you know, he's got a terrific reputation all about town, the comedy community. He's basically helped us bring together all these terrific comedians. He booked Jim Gaffigan to um, appear at, at this celebration, this, uh, comedy show, um, for my birthday, it was sort of the kickoff for the festival and for our Indiegogo, um, to get people, you know, aware of the festival, that it was a real thing to, to donate and everything. And, um, Jim Gaffigan came out and Liz Winstead and Eddie and, um, uh, Allison Rich, all these great comedians. And uh, it was a great night. We raised seven grand for charity and it was, or um, uh, for the festival, which is all for charity. And yeah, it was just a terrific event. That was just, it just kind of gave us that le- legitimacy off the bat.
0: You were probably already, you were already legitimate. I think it was just really like, it, it, it energized. It energized the yeah. camp and it really made everything even more uh, exciting because it's like, look, yeah. look how far we've already come and look how far we're going to go. Just based on uh, on kindness uh, and ch- of the charity that we've gotten.
2: Yeah, yeah. They all all uh, proceeds benefit two great charities. One is the Polaris Project, which uh, battles uh, human trafficking. It's a huge problem in the world. Over twenty eight million victims, which is crazy, and a huge problem in the U.S. One of the um, the biggest problem states is actually Washington D.C., which kind of blows my mind. Um, and. Um, uh, the other is a local social services agency, a charity um, we're donating to, called Family of Woodstock. And I actually yeah. used to uh, volunteer at Family and Alana, I know you, you know Family as well. Family Woodstock yeah. they they they're in the sort of the world of domestic violence prevention and also all these other wonderful things. You know. Um, uh, they help homeless kids and you know abused children and it's it just it, it, they, the, they basically their their motto is any problem under the sun we're here to help and um, we're, uh, we're we want to help those guys they need the money they need the help and um, you know Michael Berg said in one of the videos we shot for him he's like you know important stuff we need money for important stuff like you know everything from giving <clears throat> these people shelter pe- shelter to people that need it and also, Crucial stuff like, you know, making sure that kids who go back to school have a jacket on their back and, you know, books and a backpack and shoes, you know, so they don't get made fun of. It's like the really crucial stuff. And he's like, like going totally back to right. the
0: essence. Exactly. Yeah. You're going back yeah. to the essence and uh, um, just giving <clears throat> giving kids uh, a foundation to go off of, I guess.
1: Yeah. It's, it sounds like a great project.
0: I had a chance to volunteer with the family Woodstock. Um, not that much, unfortunately. But um, You know, looking back, I seem to recall a number of occasions, if not maybe one occasion where I was in the back just like sorting soup cans and cans of uh, food and just helping out was really nice. And the reason why I think it resonated just even once or twice the times I went there was because I didn't really have that strong myself. Uh, I didn't have that strong of a connection with the community despite the fact that to this day, I cite it as home. I cite it as where I, you know, learned everything about my life and the fact that it is a community that is so rich with, uh, you know, just very, very strong connections to people who want to make a difference, people who want to help out. And Family Woodstock, the fact that it's still standing is breathtaking and amazing and wonderful, and it's been... I mean, I can't even imagine how, how – do you know how long it's been uh, around for altogether? It's been almost um, like 40 years it was, or
2: something. It was founded – yeah, it was just shortly after the first Woodstock uh, Festival, which I guess that was in the in the late 60s. 69, I think. Uh, yeah. In 69. Okay, so it's shortly after that, these sort of – as Michael phrased it, a lot of unsavory types sort of hung around town, but they were mostly, you know, young kids that didn't have anywhere to go or be, and and they needed shelter and food. And um, um, there was a woman, I forget her name, who who um, who started the organization that I believe had a had a, uh, a previous name to it. But she said, "All right, well, I want to make sure that you know all these people actually have a place to sleep. I mean, that you know they're sleeping on the lawns in town and just kind of you know upsetting." Folks and, and people are turning their backs to them. Well, I want to open myself up to them. And she said, you can call this phone number anytime you want. That's kind of how it started. Just volunteers came out of the woodwork and momentum built, and that was it.
0: That's amazing. That's right. This is, yeah. this, this is really- awesome.
4: Are you guys the descendants of those unsavory characters? What are you talking about? <laughs> he is, and maybe me. I don't know.
1: Alon, <laughs> you are a pretty unsavory character, my friend.
0: Uh, yeah, I need a haircut.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Many unsavory characters came to town. And <laughs> that,
0: that's actually that's actually a good segue. Um, I must ask you, Josh, what when? how old were you when you uh, moved to Woodstock?
2: Uh, I moved to Woodstock uh, when I was in fifth grade. That means I would have been 13, 12, going on 13. Is that right? Twelve, eleven. Yeah, eleven. Yeah. Where were you? Where? 11, yeah. where,
0: where did you uh, originate from? Where? Where? Where did you originate from? Where I was born you, in D.C.?
2: D.C. Yeah, born in D.C. Grew up in uh, in Potomac, Maryland, and moved when I was yeah about uh, ten or so up to Woodstock. Right around the time of Woodstock '90. Two? 93? It must have the, been 92. What was the second one? 92. 90, 92 or
1: 93. But, um, 90 um, 94, yeah. actually, because they did a 25, and then I did a 30, I think.
0: So Josh Rubin right. joined, uh, joined the ranks of Woodstock Elementary kids in fifth grade, um, and actually there's a, a really great clip that we have, um, of which I've, I'm pretty sure I played you, but this is a clip uh, that uh, is very small. Uh, so let's just play it. Indeed. I do.
4: No!
5: Oh, oh, I, I love these things! With it. Can I see these things? Can I see from it? Why? Hey, those things killed the boy. He slapped himself with it. It's only
4: one.
5: Well, that's a lie. Meet <laughs> the, the new okay. kid, Josh. Yeah. He's what, a different Josh. What about it? <laughs> Weird. Hey, Ben, let me see the stuff. <laughs> what? Is this your diary? No, it's, our, it's my Danziger Zone. Go
0: home. <laughs> so um, that was the uh, official introduction to Josh Rubin in recorder history. Um, <laughs> in case
2: you you uh, listening don't understand what I was talking about, Alon had a slap bracelet. Is that right? Correct. Which were big, and, were
1: uh, big in the mid nineties. Oh, I, I, sure. I remember slap bracelets. I was a girl in the nineties. I remember slap bracelets.
4: What, what's a okay, slap well, bracelet? I don't get it.
2: Okay, so if you like, don't remember, it was yeah, it was a a, pla- a it's plastic like a, bracelet that it's like, flattened out.
1: Right, it was like yeah. this piece of plastic, like this long skinny piece of plastic, um, but the thing is like when you slapped it against something, it would curl on it, up around oh, itself. Oh,
4: yeah, 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 I've seen those, okay.
0: And I, apparently, according to uh, 11-year-old Josh Rubin, it mm-hmm. killed somebody once.
1: That was, the urban, <laughs> that was the urban legend about slap bracelets, is that you could accidentally like slit somebody's wrist with one of them.
2: Apparently it happened like once, and I like love telling people about it. <laughs>
1: I do also enjoy that you think you were introduced, if we heard correctly, as the other Josh or new Josh, okay, different Josh. Okay, well, 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 Josh
2: Telson. Yes,
1: yes, we've had Josh Telson on, yes, so that we do have context for two Joshes.
0: Right. So, uh, And the fact was that I had been close with Josh since I had known him for a number of years at that rate. And so uh, I, I was very accepting of all the new kids, uh, and I, I wasn't really that socially uh, in the ranks myself. So I, I was very accepting of everybody. And um, Josh and I actually had the opportunity much later on in like middle school to do... Uh, plays together, which was a fat was really a, a rewarding experience. Um, uh, let me ask you though, Josh, what were some group projects that you got involved with outside of school other than theater, or was theater really
2: mostly? I mean, the only other projects outside of which, like Youth theater was me eating ramen noodles and watching Batman the animated series.
0: Nice, nice. Oh,
2: uh, yeah, a nice big one. And then later, uh, uh, masturbating. So, a lot of <laughs> those were your
0: extracurriculars. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you're watching cartoons. You're watching, you know, do, doing anything that a normal kid does on a Saturday morning. Did you find yourself, uh, you know, making a lot of impressions as early on as ten, eleven? You're coming up with these impressions and you're perfecting them from a young age.
2: Yeah, I was always, uh, I was always a bit of a mimic. Like I would always. I still do this. have to copy what you know the kind of inflection people would have or, or the last few words of everyone's sentences to myself. and just kind of you know, I just kind of had to. It was this like obsessive, compulsive thing. and uh, I don't know I was like it was just like a weird kid who like doing voices and characters and stuff like that. And uh, well, we know
1: nothing about that That hasn't come up at all on the show ever <laughs> oh good. Never. That's, we haven't guys. talked about it at all.
2: I'm sure, yeah. No, I'd talk to myself in the mirror all the time. And, like, I would, you know, when I had, like, longer hair, I'd, like, comb it in different directions and talk to myself. I must have been, like, a little Jack Torrance when I was a kid.
0: <laughs> I
2: mean, Jimmy here.
1: Jimmy is the king of voices, in, at least in this room.
0: In, just in this room.
4: When it comes to small sample sizes, I do well. That's it. Just a
1: small <laughs> that,
2: that,
3: that's
1: the, the punchline. <laughs> got you got a moment here, and that's your punchline.
2: You ha- the crazy thing is, uh, yeah, Jimmy's a fourteen year old girl, which is insane. Exactly. Uh, sounds, the, the
4: beard, the beard, big. throws people off too. So it's just a yeah. double edged sword.
2: <laughs> Did you? Um, so uh, obviously, you
0: were you were coming up with these voices from a young age. Did you find yourself more inspired to make characters based on? Uh, these uh, fictional characters, uh, or even more so with everyday people in your life.
2: Um, uh, I, everything. Uh, I would I would make characters up, and I would I would make fun. I mean, the people in my everyday life. It was like you know, I guess relatives and teachers. You know, I, I think every teacher I ever had, I had an impression of and every neighbor, every everyone that I just thought was, like, kind of interesting and quirky. I just – I was fascinated from a very, you know, young age and strange people. I also – I don't know if you've seen anything that I do. I like <clears throat> dressing up as, you know, re- weird, odd characters. I've also dressed up as, like, a woman on I, several occasions yeah. in a fat suit. Mm-hmm. So I just – I've known – I know a lot of uh, – I just grew up with, like, knowing, like, a lot of, like, embittered, uh, kind of passive-aggressive, like, overweight women. So I love living in that space and just, like – Overweight, passive-aggressive women and their abrasive voices just make me so happy. I just like under—I feel like I understand, like, just passive-aggressive, overweight women more than I understand myself.
4: Yeah, that's the
1: internalized of- character.
4: That's what happens. You yeah. you, you, you <sighs> play one character long enough, and it, be, it becomes a bigger part of you than you. Yeah. yeah. For me, it's uh, it's the antagonistic angry. black guy in the corner. <laughs> everybody everybody <Yeah>. has views. I <laughs> just and have. Every- yeah, when it comes to that black dude that's like trying to start a fight but doesn't actually want to fight himself, that's the one B- for me.
2: B- <laughs> I feel like B- it might... big angry women.
1: Does that, does that lend us to another clip yet, or um,
0: actually, let's take a quick break and uh, when when we come back, we'll we'll have a clip that we will we'll play during the. Break. We're going to
1: take a quick. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and do some more clips. Indeed. Great. Lost, Lost. and
0: rewound. He got it first. Uh, sh-
5: Da, 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 da. I talk, you listen is next on oh, the is
3: Zone.
5: <laughs> Hi, hold on. I talk, you listen, remember that, because remember, I talk, you listen. Uh, hold on a second. Come here. What? Okay, I talk, you listen. Um, I have a very special guest for you today and I talk, you listen, because I talk, you listen. Ha, 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 ha. There, bye. I'll be back guest I can do. Whichever guest I say always appears right in front of me so I can say like anyone. Do you want me to say? Yes? Yes? Okay we have a first caller. Yes I'd like you to choose Mr. Man. Mr. Man? He's not real. I made him up. What? What? I told my kids that that was a man named Mr. Man. They loved him. Um... Well I made up Mr. Man. But you can't do that. What's your name? Mrs. Poopy. Oh Mrs. Poopy. Please hang up now. Daddy's what? Hey, please, ha- ah um. Well, glad that's over with. Whew. Okay. Our next caller. I'd like to know about a guest I'd like to have on. I talk, you listen. Oh uh, yes. Who that? Who might that be? That's a Gabby. Uh, I'd like. I'd like to have George Bush. George Bush. Why do you want George Bush? Because he is my hero. Okay, we can have George Bush. Hi, George Bush. Hi, my name is George Bush. Okay, um, no new taxes. What lips? We don't know. Okay. Well, I'd like to start this interview off by saying, read my lips, no new taxes. But you already said that. Read my lips, no new taxes. But you already said that. So what? Read my lips, no no taxes. Okay, that's right. I'll be right back. Now for an important commercial. Hot dogs, they are so great. You love to eat them, they are so great. And Oscar Mayer, they are so great. Hi, we're back. Hi, we're back. Now, for I talk, you listen. Now, here is George Bush once again. Read my lips. No new taxes. You said that about twenty times already. Shut up. Well, well, it's a lie. I just said that to make people shut up about those jokes they talk about me. Okay, well, you're not the president anymore, so you can't tell me what to do. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. I still get the president's salary. How much is that? Two thousand dollars a year. That's like nothing. Presidents only get two thousand dollars a year? Yes, they do. Did you like living in the White House? Yes, I did. Do you have any closing comments for the people before you go? Read my lips. No, new taxes. Okay, that was very nice. We're glad to have you on. I talk, you listen. And just for my closing comment, remember when I talk, you listen. Bye. This has been I talk, you listen.
2: Oh, <laughs> that was like a legitimate. That was a legitimate uh, a bit there. <laughs>
0: so uh, we had Brooks. Uh, we had Brooks Rocco on last episode. Um, we didn't get to that one, and I'm not really sure why we didn't get to it, but I'm glad that we're covering it now because it certainly relates to the whole, uh, you know, may, you know, coming up with impressions of public figures or celebrities, and uh, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure how prevalent political humor was when you were younger, but uh, I guess we had our perceived notions of who politicians were, and I guess they, according to Brooks, sounded basically like a robot.
1: I was going to say that of, of the kids say the darndest things of all the things to stick from the '92 presidential election on the impressionable impressionable young children of Woodstock.
2: Yeah, I'll
4: say. No
1: new taxes. I just love how
4: it was, like, even at a young age, you know that the president is just a talking head, and he's just feeding you, like, lines of bullshit. <laughs> like, over and over was a, that over that was a nice little again. insight.
1: Yeah, they just kept going, kept going, kept going. Yeah,
4: they're like, but wait, Mr. President, like, give us some real insight. And he's like, he's like, shut up. I'm just saying this. He goes, shut up. And then he goes right back to his party line. One of the <laughs> Straight
1: back to the talking points. One
4: of the finest
0: political impressionists of all time has to be Dana Carvey. His George bush was just top tier basically. oh it's, it's the
2: best
1: snl t- like even when snl is not doing as well as it has in the past their presidential bits are usually still pretty good
4: yeah but the, the key and peel uh you've, you've seen that obama that obama bit they do oh, now? yeah for yeah. sure
1: yeah. their obama i think is better
4: yeah, that's pretty good stuff
0: what what was what would you have to say about what's uh, Daryl Hammonds Clinton um, Dana Carv Dana Carvey's uh, Bush or all really just, the presidents? Well, yeah, Will Will Ferrell's George W. Bush. I, I mean, you look back, and everyone pretty much does a. Ha, they are known for their impressions. They are that's how they're known because it, they come into the American. The psyche as those characters and that's how they're well most well known i don't know uh i just was curious i guess because i know that you're a big snl fan so i'm curious to get your, your two cents
2: i mean yeah I, I, it was funny you were talking about this because uh i mean i think all the all the impressions are great i think dana carvey's bush is my favorite because it was so wacky and then and then the hiding version of that i think was um you know the clinton was was obviously great and it is but will ferrell's bush was just like just like a real person and it just felt super funny and goofy and different than any, any, any presidential, any representation of a president before. But it's funny that uh, we're talking about this because my buddy Sam was saying earlier, we're talking about the new, the new cast members in SNL and, you know, that the characters that they would, they would do. And, and, you know, once they do get a character that airs again and again, apparently the rumor is that over there, once you do a character that hits, that you kind of, as a cast member, roll your eyes because it's what you're—you know—what you're basically gonna do for the next seven years or however long your contract is. You know, when, you, when your character is a hit, you go, "Oh man, now nah, I'm stuck in like you know." whatever it is like drunk uncle for the next, you know, it's like, I know there's going to be a bit, especially if it's something like, you know, whatever it is, like co- commentary, uh, well, specific. Yeah, so that's, or, yeah. sort
4: of like the... Buckwheat with Eddie Murphy, the same way. I'm going to be saying, okay. Like, so <laughs> well, much.
1: I, I think there, yeah, there's a little bit of a double-edged sword going on there. Cause on one hand, when you do, when you get to be the SNL cast member that does the president that you can't, obviously they're going to do lots of president bits. Like they're, SNL is not gonna not do political commentary, but I think also too with the other original characters. Yeah, like that once it's once it sticks, you're funny, you've got a bit, you're gonna get right. airtime. But do you really want to do do you really want to do that piece again and again?
4: What about uh Pat? Remember Pat? Yeah, do you want to be Pat?
1: Yeah, do you want be Pat forever? Like...
0: <laughs> That's all she's known for, really. I mean, it's true.
2: She's... Like what what is Julia Sweeney doing? I mean, she was like her her legacy is this, you know,
4: uh,
2: <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> ambiguously gendered. Character. Well, you know. I thought it
0: was funny about Al Franken how he kind of dodged that bullet because he was he had there was a Stuart Smalley movie, right? Is that what, Stuart Stewart uh, Stuart saved his family? Right. <laughs> I did see that actually. I did see the It's yeah. Pat movie too. There they, neither of them really were very memorable. But now he's a, a senator. Like he just That's you know true. he
1: transitioned
0: quite swiftly. And, uh, Al
1: and Schwarzenegger was a governor. Yeah. 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 Al Franken's an interesting dude, though. That's a another conversation for another day.
0: Um I guess the only other question i would have for you in regards to this um you know because we're talking about snl what were your introductions to comedy were you watching a lot of snl a lot of stand-up specials and all that Uh,
2: great question i watched everything i my parents watched snl and they watched dennis miller live that might have been like the very first like or like I feel like or no. Sorry, I was in De- Dennis Miller Live was like later in the '90s. I guess like yeah, it was definitely SNL. And I remember like watching a lot of the Weekend Update stuff and kind of being excited about that. But then it turned into you know certainly Looney Tunes at the inception. But well, that's everybody. Uh, but uh, that, I think my strongest, this, the hardest hitting comedic influence was John Leguizamo and his uh, his one man shows like Spicarama. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think I remember. I remember watching that in like fifth grade or sixth grade seventh grade and and watching and and remember doing impressions of of his characters at school and that's like what I remember to be like the quote-unquote when I got popular was like because I came in and just like basically copied like what he did and uh, and then it was like you know it it snowballed it was Robin Williams and and it was uh, a little bit of the kids in the hall that was a little bit too much for me and um, I think it was like just a lot of like you know Chris Farley, Robin Williams, uh, John Leguizamo, a lot of the kind of wackier um, yet digestible stuff. Watch a ton, like watch that Dana Carvey uh, special. You know, Forty Niners, Shabba 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 Watch that. That's his comedy special. Maybe maybe a million times, and and Robin Williams on Broadway a million times. Um, yeah, also good, also so so good. They're definitely my my heaviest influences. And, um, and then I remember when, when there's something about Mary came out, I was like, okay, so I want to be a comedic actor like that in something that funny. I had never remembered laughing so hard until tears came out of my face at a movie. And it was, you know, I mean, watching Ben Stiller wrestle around with the, the retarded brother and uh, them, <laughs> you know, the Far- the Fairly brothers, I mean, they changed everything comedy. Like, you know, uh, growing up watching shit like Ace Ventura and Dumb and, well, Ace Ventura was, was uh, Tom Shadiak but. You know, Dumb and Dumber and 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 Kingpin and all that was just like it's something about Mary. Those guys are just so ahead of ahead of their time.
3: Yeah.
1: On a different note, before we move to the next segment, I do want to point out or comment on the fact that you talk I listen or I talk you listen might be the best name for a talk show ever that any ten <laughs> year old could have ever come up with.
0: Talk to Brooks about getting the rights if you ever decide so to to and it, take that into a bit.
1: If you want to think of what a qu- not quite pubescent kid would come up with to call their talk show, I talk, really you, brilliant. I talk you listen. Um,
0: you know, all this talk about comedy uh, has got me thinking that there's a, a clip that might be pertinent uh, involving jokes. Um, so this actually needs some context because uh, nor- normally in school with our fellow students, we're not able to get away with such foul language unless it's like on the bus maybe or like on at recess. In this instance, we are on a field trip when we were in oh, sixth man. Grade.
2: Yeah, I threw a fit. I did not want to go because it was sleepover, and that freaked me out.
0: It freaked. Wait, that freaked you out?
2: Yeah, I did. I, the last thing I wanted to do. I was such a homebody kid, you know. The you know, like those like weird kids that didn't want to like, you know, God forbid they didn't want to leave the safety of their home when they're, you know, fat, weirdo, weird, you know, like un uncomfortable in their own bodies, kids. And uh, I yeah, I did. The last thing I wanted to do was do a sleepover with a bunch of like, you know, other kids. But I, d- I do remember that. I do remember trying to like come up with some kind of deal where like my parents would like drive me there every day, which was like so ridiculous. Like the forty-minute drive to go to this like place where the kids were like sleeping overnight. But yeah. anyway, I remember it very well. Thanks for bringing it back the memory. Well, I think, we, I think we all had the fifth-grade I...
1: class trip where we had to sleep overnight at some Y camp somewhere.
0: We we can go into many a detail about the. Like horrors that I had to go through at that trip myself, including losing my clothes from someone stealing it. But we will take that for another day. And ah, I go... think I remember that. Yeah, I do. Remember it very well. Um, Let's go into this clip about jokes yet, hey? Hey?
5: Now it's time for more of Elon's famous sayings. Oh, no. Reach for the stars. If you go too far, you might land on a moon. This has been one of V-Lon's famous sayings. Reach for. Reach for the moon, if you fall, too bad. <laughs> well, now it's time for Elon's put-downs. <laughs> Your dad is so fat that when he wears a tuxedo, he looks like shabu. This has been Elon's famous, say- famous put-downs. Oops. And now, special Elon's famous put-downs. Uh, introducing Scott. Oh, Your mama's so dumb, she thought a quarterback was a refund. Bada bing, bada boom. This has been. Scotts, Hey, the split down. Oh, wait, wait! Oh, it's time for a special presentation. It's Bobby's Polish <laughs> Jokes! You better not use any of them. Okay. okay. I want to hear some Polish inventions to start out with. First of all, a submarine with screen ha. <laughs> A guy walks into a doctor's office and says, Doctor, doctor. <laughs> it hurts when I press everywhere on my body. The doctor says, Are you Polish? And the guy says, Yeah. And the doctor goes, You've got a broken finger. Ah, ha ha ha. What do you do when a Polish guy throws a grenade at you? Give up? Pull the pin and throw it back. Ha, 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 ha. OK, and for a final presentation, oh, you want to hear another joke? Not Polish, though. These guys haven't heard it, so this is a new one to our studio audience. Two kings, always fought. They, they were really mean to each other. They both claimed they had the best poets in the land. contest. It's be On the day of the poetry contest the two people got up there and the word and they had to write a poem about the word Timbuktu and everyone went oh. because it was so hard to do. I mean Timbuktu is hard to put in a poem. So the first guy goes over sandy isles and deserty sands a mighty fortress wants to land. A mighty caravan came into view, its destination, Timbuktu. And, every, and, and the whole side goes, yay! Because they thought they had won. But... Then the next guy gets up and since the king had threatened to ch- chop his balls off if he lost and take away his pride and joy, he decided he came up with another idea. Three maidens fair were in a room and Tim and I were in there too. Since they were three and we were two, I bucked one and Tim, Tim bucked two.
2: <laughs> that is unbelievable. Oh
5: Wait, my god
2: uh
1: so those you guys, this? Was, you guys were telling jokes on this overnight school trip that's the it, context well this wasn't overnight this was obviously
0: during the day yeah. uh but it I, was
1: on that that was the trip you all were on yeah okay.
0: I, i'm not sure if this was pre me getting my clothes to 100 post but if i was post then i certainly had a good sense of humor enough to like take it uh you know keep my private life if you will off the recorder
1: a lot of polish jokes
0: and i was polish I uh, was Polish. You were
1: Polish? <laughs> Not anymore!
0: <laughs> no. Um. Actually, I think there was one other kid who was more Polish uh, that was in our grade. And <laughs> I don't know if I should really be saying this, but he he got more offended at them than I did, and yet I was the Jew, the Polish Jew.
1: I, it's actually, con- randomly enough, having a conversation with somebody just yesterday afternoon about polish jokes and what the origin of polish jokes because the point of all the polish jokes is that they're dumb like that poles are dumb but well,
0: that's the whole thing is, is that uh you know speaking on behalf of the polish people no I'm not... <laughs> of all the peoples of poland no, ever no, they, they they get a bad rap and i think only because they are really historically speaking in essence the redheaded stepchild of european history sweden took them over one time which kind of just gives it
1: sweden actually invaded russia at one point too but that's a whole well, well, pre pre anyway yeah pre 19th century the swedes were kind of a big deal but that's a whole one
4: thing i didn't think about with that whole polish thing is just that like the polish dilemma of having germany on one side and russia on the other. right that you're just that's no that's no good no that good. doesn't end
1: well for anybody yeah. did you were Except you for russia
0: were you were you big into telling jokes like that when you were a kid or was that where you you weren't like into like
2: the ethnic racist it's, it's, jokes it's, or whatever. I had truly tasteless too do you remember that book truly tasteless Truly tasteless jokes too. It was called, and it was like, <laughs> I'm glad it's a sequel. It was really bad. It was. I. I remember like um like why do Mexican men have mustaches, to look more like their mothers. <laughs> and also the few, the few that I remember, it was like that and like why why do Mexicans not have barbecues. Because beans fall through the grill <laughs> and and also, what do you get when you cross a penis and a potato was my favorite a dictator that dictator nice 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 yeah. I mean, they just point. like and it was like black joke I mean like yeah. you know, pretty bad black jokes
1: as a kid, like, did you have any concept of like racially insensitive jokes or inappropriate humor
2: or like that not not mm, not really, no, no, I mean, like going back to like you know. The fat lady thing. I mean, just like being a kid, you know, you are who you are, but you say what you say. You don't really have a sense of anything. You don't really have a censor. But I'd say things like, "Why is that woman so fat?" Like, you know, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, my parents would say, "No, you can't say that sort of thing in public, or whatever." Like, I can't remember when I started thinking that the racist jokes were funny, but they, the, you know, they're, they're the funniest thing ever because they're so they're so taboo and they're they're horrible, you know, obviously. But uh, you know, I just I I love all jokes and. Uh, as like, long as I it's say. funny,
4: man. long as it's funny. That's all that matters.
1: All that matters. <laughs> it's easy to say yeah. when you're not the white guy in the room.
0: Well, Jimmy, well, Jimmy yeah. here has become more uh, involved in stand-up uh, over the last, I guess, a year? One no, year? Not even, man. About yeah, eight, eight months now. And, and you yourself, uh, uh, I, I distinctly remember seeing you perform on the Upper West Side. I imagine uh, you were still doing uh, some stand-up from time to time, but that's really where you got the majority of your start in terms of comedy is uh, related to.
3: Oh yeah, didn't, you didn't yeah. get
0: you didn't get started out in stand-up, but you certainly were involved in it for quite a number
2: of years. Yeah, man, I remember when I when I moved to New York, I had never done it. Well, I guess I did it at like the Onto Your Talent Show, like at high school in high school, and I, I don't think I'd really ever done it before, necessarily. But but my first like professional way of doing it was like I got like a, a backstage magazine, and it said that you know at Gotham, if you brought five people, you could get up and get five minutes, and that Jessica Kirsten was the coordinator for it she was this incredible comedian who loved me and I went brought my five friends. I probably, two of them were probably my parents I think and I remember they, they would take a videotape of you too. and um, I did you know a bit about how I broke my ankle at Rockefeller Center like within the first like month that I moved there because I wanted to go ice skating and never been ice skating before and then it happened and turned it into this whole big like you know bit and did some impressions. And I did pretty well for being this, like, you know, newcomer kid. Basically, it was just like it's unfair, you know. You just get up there and do voices, and people are like, "Oh yeah, this really." I react to that. I think that's funny. And uh, and Jessica was such an amazing person. She's like, you know, she makes a ton of money doing like the college circuit. She's a very well-known comedian and she she like kind of took me under her wing a little bit. She was like, "You don't have to bring people if you don't want to. If you want to come back to this slot, just come and let me know. I think you're great and got good feedback." So I got bitten by the stand-up bug for like a couple of years. Like I I did make an effort to get stage time cuz I thought it was cool and got really excited about that, but I think I was mostly just excited about getting up there and just I th- might have been Spun by the romanticism of of what it was what it was like to be to be in New York City when you're 18 and be up in front of a bunch of strangers and to be doing with your own material was really exciting, and um, I bombed really hard you know a few times for sure, Um, but that was like a super valuable experience and I loved every second of it and uh, so so yeah I did it for a little bit and and then I kind of realized how to how important it is to to have those you know bad experiences on stage because you really do eventually find your own voice and it's super important and you know it helped for my my live stuff I do with College Humor um, for our live shows stuff I do with Upright Citizen Brigade my sketch group Onassis it, 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 it all helps inordinately and you kind of realize eventually if you do it enough you'll kind of let all that nervousness go and, and you'll, you'll realize like when to, you know, be a little boring to take your time on stage. And th- those are the moments when the audience is kind of like, will just completely be in the palm of your hand. It's just kind of all the focus in the room just goes shoop. and um, that's a, that's a really fun thing when you kind of realize like when you're getting good as a performer is when you can just kind of like be relaxed on stage, which is such an important thing. That was in up helped me, uh, help me get there for sure. Super important.
4: Jimmy, <laughs> I look at you, Jimmy. you have anything co- to comment on uh, the
1: situation? anything to add to the commentary on
4: standup? Uh, I I agree. I mean yeah, like i started I started doing uh you know stand- up when I was twenty four uh, The it, it, interesting story is that another woman started the same night as me, a friend of mine, and she was thirty nine you know it was the kind of thing I know exactly what you were saying about. I kind of wanted to do more of an honest performance, stuff that it was my own work you know I'd, I'd done acting. And uh, I'd like comedic acting more than doing dramatic acting, which I'd done as well. Uh, and I just kind of wanted it to be personal. I kind of wanted to put something more out there. Because I felt like a lot, especially with doing lots of very, like, character-driven acting and accents and things like that. And people d- kind of lose who you are. And I kind of wanted to put it out there and be like, look, like, I can I can have this more original, authentic, you know, experience for people to kind of identify with. And, you know, take away something from I mean, I've been doing cinema now. I do it every day, so it's it's definitely very rewarding.
2: You know, that's the way to do it. Yeah.
4: So it's funny. I had a friend of mine. Um, he actually just got a TV show, Giannis Papas. It's called uh, The Bracket, which is on. Um, what is that called? What is the name of that? MSG. It's a sports show with uh, Mad Dog Matter as well. They're great. Some great comics from New York. Uh, well. Mad Dog is out from Las Vegas. Uh, Giannis is from Brooklyn, but he told me, he said, if you want to get into comedy, he's like, just don't make it be like a fly-by-night kind of thing. You either want to do it or you don't. He's like, you know, don't come around every once in a while and do it. He's like, got to get serious about it. He's like, if you have extra time, try to fill your time with comedy, don't let it take over your life. Obviously, live your life, but you got to have like that passion about it. You got to feel the fire burning. You know, you got to have something about it that makes you want to keep getting on stage. 'Cause you will have those instances where you think you got a really great joke and people will give you nothing or whatever it happens to be. I've been doing some harder rooms where you have antagonistic crowds and they maybe they'll yell you right off the stage, but you've got to keep going with it. That's that's kind of the fun of comedy. That, you know, it's it's it is a learning experience constantly and you I feel like I always learn something. I always take something away from every performance that I do. It's not just me giving
2: to people. Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. You you uh you have to do it every day if that's what you want to do. I mean, I, my my buddy Adam Newman. I don't know if you know him. I much, saw him maybe.
4: today, actually. Yeah, he was at the so shows a- today. Adam,
2: Adam is is case in point, man. When I met him, he was just like obsessed with stand up, and he was obsessed with stand up the next year, and the year after that, and the year after that, and got up every single day. Didn't have any money. Worked, you know, as a coordinator for us. He was a horrible coordinator, <laughs> and and he and he knew it, and didn't you know didn't love his job. And he was like one day he's just like, yeah, I'm not gonna do this anymore. And he left and just like kept doing stand up and was you know on un- unemployment and <laughs> just like you know doing it every every day. And he was on Letterman like two weeks. Yeah, ago. he was on Letterman a little bit ago. And he's he's blowing up because of that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's, he's
4: blowing up. up. A lot of those, a lot of the uh, the comedy scene all around New York um, is kind of uh, having a big resurgence. I feel like a lot of young people coming up. It's a really great thing. Yeah.
0: This is a, this is a fantastic discussion. I'm really happy we're doing this. Let's take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, I think we have. Uh, Another clip uh, involving comedy, and just I guess some other little extras just to make us all laugh.
1: Just for funsies.
0: This is Lost and Rewound.
5: Nate's Geography Lesson! This is how you say goodbye in about five different languages. No. How you really do it. In France, as you know, from past geography lessons, you say bonjour. You have to say bonjour. Bonjour! Right. In Spanish, to say hello, you say hola.
3: Hola!
5: Well, no. in Hebrew, to say hello, you say shalom. Shalom. And what are the languages? Help me out. German? I don't know how to say it. <laughs> and even though I don't know how to say hello in German, I do know how to say, do you speak German? Sprechen sie Deutsch. This has been an edition of Nate's Geography Lesson.
0: So I think this is actually an interesting uh, conversation because in general, when we're kids, how much we travel, I think, is kind of like a sort of a pressure. It's like, you know, you have your friends who, oh, you just got back from vacation? Oh, where did you go? Oh, that's so cool. Oh, I've always wanted to go there. Uh, And then like your parents, you realize, have no budget to do so. It's like no dinero at all. I barely traveled at all. Um, What about you guys?
1: Yeah, no, I definitely remember that because for a number of years when we were still living in Atlanta, I was in private school. And so like the kids I went to school with were just painfully rich, like would go out to Tahoe for spring break just because they could, like had a cabin out there kind of rich. And so everybody's spring break and summer vacation and Christmas trips, they always did these really cool, ridiculous things. And we went to visit my grandparents in Detroit and we drove from Atlanta, which was like 12 fucking hours. Like <laughs>
4: We only visited countries that were on the Axis side in World War II.
1: <laughs> I feel like that's something you and your dad would be into.
4: <laughs> it's it's true, it's true, and uh, it's funny actually. Um, we didn't, I, yeah. I, I feel like we didn't do much traveling compared with some other people, right. but I, I definitely, well, like we went to Germany because we had a friend there, and I had a very like bad racist attitude towards it. Right. Like I had all these horrible racist ideas about Nazis and Germans before I went to Germany and then I went there when I got back. Twenty times worse. <laughs> <laughs> even more. i
1: like yeah I did go on. Josh is
0: making like we have a video feed going on right now, and Josh is making like the most uncomfortable duck face at your comment about Nazis. <laughs> Perplexed, like thinking duck face. <laughs> it's wait, wait. It's the same can face. Can we get a screen cap of this? Actually, I think uh, Roosevelt made that face. <laughs> can do that. Like can do that. right
4: around the same time that Hitler went into Czechoslovakia. Oh, <laughs> get, get at me,
1: get at me, <laughs> oh. Can you push the buttons faster? Yes, enough? I got it. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Um. I always that we'll like, see the light of I day later. I always felt
0: like the guy Duckface is like the bitchy resting face. They're like one and the same. Ex- yeah. Male, I don't know. Never mind. Well, like
1: Duckface is its own weird white
2: girl thing. Like
0: I- I've only been to France uh, when I was in high school. Josh, did you do a-, a lot of traveling when you were younger?
2: Um, My dad would have these like business trips all across the U.S., but they were like, you know, exotic places like Florida and San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> when we were
0: 17, we had the opportunity, because, you know, again, with the whole idea of traveling and you know, going to faraway places, and New York City wasn't really a faraway place, and New York City became your home when you were 18, uh, when uh, you went to college here, uh, well, you went to acting school. But before then, uh, you and I had the opportunity to spend time in the city uh, for the New York International Fringe Festival. How was that experience at a young age being in the city uh, for really a long period of time?
2: Well, as you may or may not remember, I actually wasn't at the New York International Fringe Festival because my parents did not condone any festival that had a show like, oh, I don't know, you're in town, because what could that show be about? It sounds like people pee on each other. That's right. I see. Okay. Well, it goes off to become a huge Broadway success. So I wasn't allowed to go on that trip, but moving, moving here at a very early age was like, I mean, at 18, you go to college, but for me, it was moving to the city. and, and It freaked my parents out, but they were like super supportive, and it was like, Really, really scary, but super exciting for me. Uh, Times Square quickly became my like village green. It was like, oh, I know, that, that must be what New York is. That must be the cool place. so I'll just go there a bunch. And then gradually, you know. And then you the learned course, better. Then, then, <laughs> we you, then right. you, you, know, you realize what the West Village is. And you're like, oh, okay, this is cool. And then the West Village is not cool. And then eventually have, you have know, a show in Brooklyn. Although Williamsburg 13 years ago was in no way as, as fun and, and safe as it is now. Yeah, Would, it was great. You've moved
0: quite a bit of times, then. So you've you've been in, in Manhattan, and now you're in Brooklyn. Um, what's it like? I mean, in terms of, I guess, just uh, the totally scene. different vibe. Yeah, totally
2: different. vibe. Like Manhattan is like that was the place to be, and it was great. I lived in Chelsea. I lived in Midtown East. I live on the Upper East Side. I live kind of all over, and and uh, except for like you know the, the the Lower East Side, I think I was kind of. Too, too much for me. It's kind of like too loud. But Brooklyn is like a completely different scene to the fact where like to the point where, and you know, I lived there for for just the first few months. It was like super quiet and things were like you know less expensive and it was kind of a more laid back thing and buildings weren't as tall. It wasn't as like you know smelly. And then you go into Manhattan and it's just like way too much. You just realize what the whole kind of hubbub is about. And it made me want to you know it made me wish that I'd moved to Brooklyn sooner because. It was such a quality of life change, you know?
1: And what part of Brooklyn do you currently reside in, or did you move to? What's what's your journey through Brooklyn?
4: Four stalkers out there. The journey,
2: the journey through was I lived uh, steps from McCarran Park, like right at the McCarran, or the uh, Williamsburg-Greenpoint border on Angert and Graham. And now I live, I guess, in the Bushwick border, Williamsburg-Bushwick border, right, just steps from the Grand Street L-stop. So I'm like, um, you know, right around all these, like, cool bars, and, but it's also sort of transitioning into into ghetto land, um, but I, I love it. I mean, it's just like everything is just slowly getting more expensive and gentrified. Like the, that whole that whole street that I live on now, you know, that Bush, Bushwick Avenue is like, I remember it used to be a pretty pretty dodgy street. Now it's like a fancy bar, brand new, you know, 58 Bushwick Avenue is like this, you know, beautiful brick and glass building. Luxury buildings are popping up all over the place. It's just like Everyone's getting priced out and everything's changing, but it's also like safe and there's like, you know, more cool, fun stuff to do. It was when I moved here, certainly.
0: When you got involved in uh, Dutch West, I'd like to talk about Dutch West a little bit because when I first moved to the city eight years ago, um, I had the pleasure of getting to see you and your merry band of merrymakers.
2: <laughs> Not frequently.
0: Be, yeah, frequently. I, I would see you guys perform on the regular and you. Um,
2: yeah, you were uh, such a great. Order
0: of us. Well, I mean, I I, I still continued. Uh, not 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 to beat around the bush, but you know, I definitely support my friends and continuously to this day. What I will uh, admit to though is is that um, I felt like I was not in on like a lot of the like inside jokes uh, because there was like you 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 hang out with the same group of people and you're going around and you're shooting on location at a lot of these places. So your experiences in the city are even more enriched by where you are as five independent filmmakers sh- or, you know, actors shooting your films. And I imagine you must have had some crazy stories happening when you're, you know, shooting this and that story, uh, um, you know, on video here in the city, somewhere else outside the city, up in Woodstock or whatever. Um, Could you maybe elaborate on just, like, I guess, some of the experiences that you had in traveling and being on location, be it in the city or elsewhere?
2: Um, Well, for Dutch West, it was always, like, you know, it was always run and gun. I mean, we would, we shot in, in what is now, um, what's that, like, not Grand Street Park, but that, that big, kind of that, that park where they have uh, Smorgasburg and, uh, and Williamsburg used to be just like a desolate, scary place. And we'd go down there with just a camera and, and a microphone. I feel like all the Dutch West, like, shooting stories happen when it was in the dead of winter. So we'd shoot down there and it was like, you know, shrapnel and, and, and freezing cold winds I and mean, we'd have to ADR everything, but it would be like the most, the most fun ever. And, and, you know, then it would be like in the summer I'd be shooting, you know, in, in a wheelchair as, as a, as a, uh, a handicapped kid named Duncan who gets like pushed over in his wheelchair and his like brother pushes him around. who's like a total psychopath and like a documentary about him. So like, I just have like, all these memories of like being all around my like, a great city that I lived in as these crazy different characters like in you know, the kid in the wheelchair and we we, we did a, a quick pickup shot for this comedy central web series we did years ago. Dutch West did uh, where we had to shoot just one quick shot at the Irish Hunger Memorial and it was like maybe maybe below 15 degrees and we got a permit just to be there like we gave the guy twenty two hundred 200 bucks. And the wind was so heavy, like, it broke the, uh, the sprinter door, of this, the, the, the van, you know, the, uh, the, the truck we basically brought all the equipment in. It was being in, like, a wizard costume and, like, you know, having this joke where the wizard does a drug test, but the ancient, you know, ye old drug test is, like, you know, a, a knight peeing into a cup and the wizard drinking it, telling him whether or not he was positive for drugs. <laughs> but it was in the Irish Hunger Memorial, and, it was like, you know, every time the wizard had to drink... Or uh, the actor Matt, he got like, you know, an ice mustache. It was just like the, the worst thing ever. And, you know, the, the sound guy's hands were freezing to the pole, only then to, like, you know, go to Vinny's apartment and do a pickup.
0: Before I forget, I wanted to uh, tack on to that because where can people find th- uh, the old Dutch West videos? Because I know that not all of them are still available to be seen.
2: Uh, if you go to DutchWest.tv and you find Dutch West on, um, it might be Dutch West Comedy on YouTube, you can find all of them. Uh, no. except for, I think, except for, like, Cat Love, which was a a, a super weird kind of short we did about uh, a guy falling in love with a cat. Fair enough. <laughs> Just, like, everything we did all around the city. I remember one time we went, we, we had to do a, uh, a, there was a sketch called Taj, where we were, like, the, the five, like, Indian members oh my of God. Uh, Power Rangers. Yes. And we were in, essentially, you know, dark skin makeup and wa- wandering around, like, Central Park, in these costumes you know and like had to do it was like a scene where the, the Taj Tajers had a picnic and you know there I am and basically like you know like
3: blackface in it yeah, face. Yeah,
2: like in, in Central Park and like, oh there's Indian family right there um, so it was it was just it was the most exciting nerve-wracking fun time ever I, I wish I could go back to it now it's like everything I direct and do is so professional and people get so heady and, and it gets me heady and I wish like you know, I could just go back to just doing stuff, you don't have to think about it. You could just shoot the way you sh- we shot Dutch West, just kinda of run and gun and pick it up and, and uh you know I had that experience recently on something I, I did for Comedy Central that directed that was just like just felt, you know, you have complete creative control. If you can find moment and you can just like drop it and just go back to your roots, like that's when people think you're a genius.
0: What was and, that uh, exactly that year. The thing,
2: the thing that we just did was a um, it was a, a, a proof of concept they call it for a series called Strong Island and I don't know how much I can talk about it but the hashtag on Instagram is, is F Yeah Strong Island the letter F F Strong Island it's basically about uh, John Gabris who's on Guy Code and a terrific actor writer named Justin Tyler who played two brothers who live with their mom on Long Island and they do uh, petty crimes and just get themselves involved in the most horrible shit and uh, my buddy Vincent and I Uh, directed it and uh, collaborated with those guys on the show and shot in Long Island for four days, did a pickup day um, uh, yesterday. And it was just the most fun ever. It was just like, you know, everyone was collaborating. It was, you're moving fast and, and, and making five episodes in five days. And it was uh, just fun and crazy. And, and yeah, that's, that's like, that's the key. If you can, if you can just like kind of, you know, revert back to, to the run and gun days, like I'm so glad Dutch West happened. I didn't just like jump into being some like you know, web star or anything. <laughs> Not that I'm any kind of star, but yeah, that just just like having that experience, you know, that I can kind of use as a frame of reference is so great.
0: I find it personally kind of interesting hearing about this because it sort of brings you back to when you're a kid and you're all about collaborating with your fellow uh, friends and coming up with these projects. And it's like when you have these ideas on your own that you bring upon uh, other people to get involved with and whatever the case is you know it's a collaboration because whoever's idea it is everyone's on board and it you know you you can't just have one person driving you have to have somebody navigating
3: oh yeah
2: yeah don't be a genius kind of like don't be a hero like don't be a genius on your own you can you it's best to be a genius in, in the company of others i mean that's how uh that's how so many great projects get off the ground and so many great Great, uh, great people become who they are, as you know, by way of by way of others, and with with the help and collaboration of others, and, and that's what Dutch West was. Yeah,
0: and it was a precursor for, I guess, the the, the College Humor stuff. So
2: yeah, oh that. yeah, completely. I mean, the founder of College Humor, the founders at the time, saw our stuff and was like, "Wow, you you shoot such great stuff for so little! And how do you do it?" And the reality was, you know, a couple of our grandmas died. We pulled some money together and got an HVX or DVX-100 camera, which was a digital camera that shot, like, film, and we shot a whole bunch of videos for fun. And, um, uh, you know, Vincent Payone, who was um, a member of Dutch West who went to SVA, he was the only one who knew his way around a camera, and he was happened to be a fantastic cinematographer, so we had these kind of filmic, comedic sketches. Yeah. And now the modern-day version of that sort of thing is, like, you know, you look at Key and Peel, the kind of, like... And, and before us, it was, you know, Woody Allen, like, taking, like, a funny thing but shooting it beautifully. It's just, like, it's this... This vessel that you feel very taken care of, watching it, and that's what we we don't wanted to like brand ourselves with doing it. We did, loved it. We
0: have one more clip to play. At... Can
1: you stick around for ten more minutes?
2: Yeah, I can try.
0: Well, it's it, it, it's uh past our bedtimes too. So Let's do it. Okay, roll into cocktails.
5: All right, now we are going to do that's right, Elon's version of. <inaudible> <inaudible> Cocktails. Before anyone listens to this, we have to make sure that you guys have no glass around. Because I might crack. And if you're at home, put all the back in the storage because the refrigerator will be of great source so the glasses won't break. And well even Pepsi cans will break in, in the car, Mom, so be careful. Alright, here we go. No longer need we miss A charming scene like this na, 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 na. In some seclude and rendezvous no! It overlooks the other you. We're somehow sharing a delight of chat, of this and that, with cocktails for two T.T. As we enjoy a cigarette, <coughs> some experience shines a little bit of a d-d-d-d. Your hands are sugar need the end, with cocktails for two tea, tea. My hand they go really, but my head will be obedient, with the intoxicated kiss, a small, a bread small ingredient get to do that ding 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 I'll be so glad we're both alive i will be away way will complete we that all began with cocktails for two <laughs> get get the get 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 Oh, steady afternoon, it's about It's Sunday at five. We'll be so glad we're both so we be alive. There may be fortune will complete for playing that all began with cocktails for two, two, do-do-do-do.
1: I think the songs on the show might be my favorite Danzigers own clips. Every I time somebody thinking, sings something,
2: three of that that just kind of is a standalone.
0: Yeah, the context of that is because I did that for the lip sync in sixth grade. Uh, the lip sync uh, being sort of like a talent show in sixth grade. The talent show really kind of meshed into. A lip sync, which was people, you know,
1: we had yeah, we had one when I was at camp. Like the whole, it was like a talent show, only everybody lip synced different songs or did like an act. I
0: mean, there were there were people who did like a little like talent, but it was mainly uh, lip sync because that was kind of you beeline for the easiest possible thing, which was uh, lip syncing songs uh, that were appropriate and um, not they they were approved by the teachers basically. And cocktails for two somehow made it through.
4: Oh, white people.
0: Um, Cocktails for Two was a song by Spike Jones and the City Slickers. Uh, they were a famous radio comedy outfit from the 40s and 50s, exclusively of musical comedy variety, and, um, I don't know, Josh, did you ever listen to any of that? It was, like, radio comedy, and, like, it was of like, like, the Burns and Allen, Jack Benny, You Bet Your Life with Groucho Marx. I had that tape, and Spike Jones and the City Slickers was on there, but unlike the other stuff, this was strictly musical comedy.
2: No, man, I, uh, I listen to a lot of musicals. I listen to The Hell of the lame is, but that couldn't be further from a uh from radio comedy. <laughs> right. i like watching Jack Benny. Yeah. But uh, uh, no, I can't say that I'm that I'm that cool of a uh, comedy uh
0: My parents you know. just got me this tape and I, I don't know, maybe it was just because I was a fan of the radio and here we are now, you know, 20 years sure. later. But um yeah. that but that song always was uh, impressive to me uh for some reason and the, I think it was basically just because it was like it's old music like they the the that band would take old compositions and interpolate it with bells and whistles and people burping and farting or whatever.
1: Radio from that era even not just the musical comedy bits like I mean back before television really was the mass medium that it is now. Radio shows were a cool thing. I remember like in school sometimes for whatever like history lesson unit or Remember how teachers would bring in audio tapes or different things to listen to, and we'd listen to these old crazy radio shows or readings of whatever we were studying, and they were cool. Like that there's that scene actually speaking of musicals, and Annie and I'm not sure if it's in the stage show or not, but in the movie where they go and they're on the radio and they're trying to find Annie, and Daddy Warbucks walks in there and he just like he's reading all the pages and at the bottom it says drop page. Mm-hmm. as they're doing all reading through the show or the bit or whatever the plug is and he doesn't get it at all. He just reads the entire page including all the stage directions and gets to the bottom of his drop page. And then...
0: Well, he's doing it by road. He probably just forgot that. Oh, wait, oops. Stage directions. I should have crossed those out No, but it's a,
1: bit, it's a bit that the, ca- that the character ah, itself doesn't understand it. the got stage it. directions.
0: Um, stage fright. Josh, when did you get over stage fright? And when did you uh, start to uh, become more comfortable with performing? You know, with the lip sync and everything, kids are able to do that at a young age. But
2: um, when did you officially say, no, I'm going to do this? That's a great question, man. I haven't thought of that. Uh, when did I get over stage fright? I still get nervous. I think I would have to say I, I just had it uh, until recently. I got it every time. I never had crippling stage fright. I would get excited nerves and the first, you know, second you're out on stage, all that dissipates, and then it just becomes about the adrenaline rush about the ride. Yeah, man, I think I just had a consistently pre- pretty pretty, nerve, nerve-wracking nerve stage fright uh, through my time at the youth theater, certainly, and then, like, definitely heightened that twofold with stand-up, um, but any time I ever had to sing was always, like, really tough, like, like anytime I remember the thing the worst stage fright I ever had was when we did that a lot. And I don't know if you were in it. We did like a musical review of Les Mis and Cabaret. Didn't do it. That I sounds d- like a
1: I very d- odd combination. Well,
0: actually it wasn't because they did a lot of that. Um, I, I, we'll get back to what Josh was saying, but just to be quick, yeah. quick. Rocky Horror Picture Show production that was done, of which I was the narrator and Josh was um, Brad, uh, but they interpolated the Rent songs
2: in the beginning portion of that. It was Rent and Rocky Horror. That was our one review. Why not? But they did I'm trying to wrap
1: my brain around that one.
2: Yeah, it was just it was just like you know like five numbers from Rent and then an intermission and then like five numbers from Rocky
3: Horror. It was like okay, a minute. Yeah.
0: Was it, it? Well, yeah, I guess they did shorten it because right. they couldn't really get away with playing all like the raunchy stuff. It felt like it was a full Rocky Horror. Um, but you but what but, but you were saying before Les Mis and Cabaret, right? Is that what you said?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that was like. So nerve-wracking because as a kid I was just kind of, you know, nervous to be around all these other kids who, you know, most of them I thought were pretty cool. I mean, all of us were like super fucking nerdy kids who marched to the beat of our own drummer, you know, so it was like all these like pretty girls and cool guys who in retrospect are all just like normal talented people who were, you know, just as kind of nerdy and crazy as I am (laughs) today. And we are, um, but you know, I looked up to them, and I was nervous, nervous around them, and especially nervous to sing. singing is like you know the most kind of vulnerable thing ever. So, and I, and I, I'll never forget, like we we sung, we did that that show at like the Birdcliff Barn, uh, and it was this like you know old theater that is is a barn, and you know I guess it was I guess it was just Birdcliff. There's Birdcliff and Birdcliff Barn. Fantastic and anyway, the, location, yeah. It's a cool occasion, but like I never forget, like like in the middle of like the pineapple song, it was like this duet between me and this other girl. My mic went out, and I already had to have like a high voice for it, and it was just like the worst. My it was like the worst experience ever, and uh, and I just remember like looking at my parents and my relatives who came to visit and knew that they were being disingenuous. they were like, "Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, it was good. It was good." Just being like, oh my god, that was like. It's a horrible experience. But everything after that, you know, like performing and everything. That's so. an experience,
1: though, that a lot of young performers go through. I remember in middle and high school theater and all of that, like that you th- automatically think that everybody else is more talented than you or being around all these other performers that you your own sense of being comfortable on stage and working with everybody else like you do. Starstruck is the wrong word. But I remember like in high school theater, very clearly like being the freshman and then seeing all the seniors and being like, um, and having that intimidation factor.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Being totally intimidated by the kids who were super talented, who I thought were like movie stars.
1: Right, and then sort of as you get further on, sort of...
2: And then you become... You
1: realize uh, that everybody's a little bit intimidated by everybody else, and everybody yeah, gets but butterflies before they, they go on stage what is
2: that and the other and the other kids like Liz Weibel who's helping me out with the Woodstock comedy Festival was you know a younger kid in that group and Max max Schneider too is now like a
0: he's you know, a
2: superstar. he's a superstar now superstar he was like a little you know super spunky little kid but he like looked up to all of us like we were stars <laughs> and then he went up to become like you know Justin Bieber basically but I mean, you know, yeah, it's it's all completely relative. It's a a fun. It was a fun thing to go through that whole experience and witness the shift of uh, you know being having stage fright and being like just a nervous kid to being like kind of the big fish in the small pond.
4: Yeah, I never, I never had stage fright unless I was about to suck. (laughs) I just knew I was going to bite it. I was like, all right, this is going to, and I'd like, I'd feel a little nervous about it. But like, if I knew that I was about to just like. I had it. I had it. I had it in hand, and i never had stage fright. You just gotta jump in. Uh, that was, that was
1: m- yeah. That was always mine. Is, I mean, I never had crippling. I can't go on stage fright. But there's always that moment right before you go on, right before the show starts, right before your entrance, or how whatever your beginning moment is. Where you, I would get kind of pacey and nervous and bouncing. Like, but as soon as you're, I was on stage, it was fine. Like once it's the anticipation. I think that I found most nerve wracking.
4: Yeah, I used to get the same adrenaline. I feel like I almost used to take it uh, too far sometimes. I uh, was doing a stage production in high school. We were doing Midsummer Night's Dream, and I just kept improving. Like, every performance we'd do, I'd just do something new, and I was kind of, like, upstaging a lot of the other uh, a- like actors and actresses in the performance. And I was playing Demetrius, and the-, the girl who was playing Hermia came and, like, complained to the director. And he, like, ribbed me out in front of everybody for, like, calling too much attention to myself. And then afterwards, uh, after he dismissed everybody, he held me up like, afterwards, and he was like, uh, keep doing what you're doing. It's great. Uh, very funny. People love it. Keep going. So I was like, I remember I, one, one performance I pantsed uh, Lysander. I pantsed the, the lead. Uh, we wow. like were supposed to we were like having kind of an exchange in the back and he happened to be wearing um, the the classic like cartoon boxes with hearts on them like not not for any real reason he just it happened hap- that happened to be, them.
1: be the underwear he was wearing yeah, that day it
4: was it was glorious I mean again I didn't think about like the fact that there was a, a pretty big chance that I would pull his underwear down too because it was just too quick a moment I didn't even prepare him for it Um and, you know, but it's, you know, when you're on stage, it's, it's something else takes over. That's just, that's just the way it's always going to be.
0: Who would have known that they were kids who were actually wearing hearts on their boxers?
4: I, I remember I, I remarked to him afterwards about it. I was like, dad, how would you, I'm like, is this, like, this is like, you in the face. this is like, this set setting the stars. <laughs> Interestingly he enough, uh, he right did. He jaw. didn't punch me in the face, but we had earlier there was a a, a play fight. We were supposed to like uh, you know a stage fight. We were supposed to have um, earlier in the play, and one of the performances, I punched him right in the mouth, like really hard. I guess he was supposed to jump back, and it, like everyone in the in the audience, like <gasps> like a hush fell over the crowd when I hit him because you could hear the crack as I hit him, did and he, uh, every you know we, the the show was better for it.
0: Uh, speaking about this whole stage fright thing, um, we do have one more clip to end on—a very, very teeny tiny clip that I think will shed
1: some insight. Roll it. Oh,
5: lovely, Josh? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> don't
1: mention my name on national And that's our show, folks.
3: Good night. Wow.
4: Thanks for watching.
0: I mean, with eyes. It, this is just—that was just audio proof that I—I actually wanted you to get involved, but you were like,
2: "No, fuck off, get him out of my face." I don't know. Too bad. Right, now, now I get to say, I knew you win.
0: Excuse me. I think now I can say that, that And then you, and it just just shows the show. It's like you know the the modest beginnings. You clearly were more comfortable being in front of a screen versus uh, on a recorder, but now now we've got this for longevity purposes. Oh, shit. <laughs> the only other thing I could uh, see uh, happening right now is if uh, asking Jimmy or Melissa if you guys have any uh, closing questions or comments uh, before we wrap it up.
4: Um, good night, dude.
3: Yeah. It, 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 it's been a long night. Thank
1: you for being a sport and hanging out with us. Do you have any, any, uh, Thank
4: you for pl-
1: having me. This was so much fun.
0: I, I We've already plugged everything, but uh, any other thing that we haven't plugged or you want to plug again uh, before we uh, close it out?
2: Wits.comedy Festival. It's for charity. Whitstock comedy on Twitter. Follow us. Share it. There's a weekend pass. 250 bucks to see every single show. That's like 13 shows, panels, we're showing Bobcat Goldthwaite's horror movie, Willow Creek, and he's going to do a QA after. Nice. Bigfoot. It's going to be amazing. Josh, Thanks, Josh Rubin,
0: y'all. Josh Rubin coming to us. Um, spring Break. Spring Break. Uh, thank you again, my friend. And uh, we'll yeah. be getting this up very soon. So, um, yeah. Thank you again for joining us here.
2: Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. You Best as well. Time.
4: Lost and Rewound.
1: did we learn on the show tonight, guys? That you two need to shut the fuck up so clean, we can go home. Clean
4: between your toes. Um, always talk to your hoes and uh, make sure you uh, do lots of shows. That uh, was something like that.
0: Thanks again for Josh Rubin joining us for Lost and Rewound. And definitely be sure to check out more information about the Woodstock Comedy Festival.
4: Find us. Use your skills. Use the magic of the internet navigation to find us.
1: Lost and Rewound. Facebook, Twitter, lostneuralwound.com,
0: iTunes, Gmail, Gmail, maybe soon Instagram, who the hell knows. Don't
4: be an old lady, just use skills to find it.
1: Go on the internet, you got this far. We're not tired, don't worry about it.
0: Just (laughs) pretend that we're not sleepy right now. You love us.
1: (laughs) This is not the most ridiculous and punch drunk we've ever been while doing the show. I'm the greatest. Thank you
0: guys for being here.
1: Thanks again for joining us. Lost and Rewound is hosted by Elon Danziger, Jimmy Hoffman, and Melissa Lloyd. Produced by Douglas Johnson.
3: Lost and Rewound.